everywhere you look, things are evolving and changing. I want something to stay the same, though. Something dependable. You know, like gravity. Do you think that kind of reality exists? And if it did, would we even recognize it? everybody. So glad you're here today and uh, that many of you may not know this, but today is our 21st birthday as a church. So yeah, happy birthday. Woo. Our very first service was March 1st, 1992. And I was just reflecting on that, thinking about 21 years old. I was thinking about me as a 21 year old and whoo, our church is way better than I was at that stage. And so I just look at that and just so grateful about what God has done. So grateful that you're here today and just can't imagine and just kind of fathom what God has done in us in 21 years. And I just look forward to what he's going to do in our future as well. So we're celebrating that, but we're also starting this new series called Reality. And the whole idea is this, is that some things never change. I got to attend a seminar on Thursday down at William Jessup University, and it was on the topic of culture and uh, how culture is changing and how we can try to keep up with the changing culture that we're in, especially churches. How can we can keep up with the changing, you know, uh, sociological changes that are facing, you know, our world and our nation, and how can we keep up with that? And so we're living in a time, I found out, that what some very smart people have categorized as an unprecedented time in change and an upheaval. Now, as much as, you know, we probably want to think that we're living in a unique time because we all think that we're, you know, the focus is on us. I would think that every time that mankind has faced this kind of the changes that they've faced, that they've all felt like that. They can't keep up, right? Whatever it happens to be. But we do face some amazing times that we're in right now. And because of that, people want to know this. They're asking this question, what is real? You know, in this whole age that we live in where nothing seems to be real, in fact, we're kind of leaning toward liking things that aren't real, uh, inside of harassing people, what is real? What foundation is reliable? What is there that isn't impacted or transformed or warped by all the changes that are around us? Is there anything that I can count on? So looking for something that is real. Now, I read this in preparation for today. It talks about the whole idea I'm talking about here. It talks about two worlds, though. One world that is the physical world with its laws of nature, and then there's a spiritual world. So you just know when I'm reading this, that two worlds it's referencing. We live in two worlds. One that is governed by laws like gravity. They're absolute and universal, and aren't we glad that gravity works, right? And gravity works in lots of different ways. If I jumped off this stage on you right now, gravity would hurt you, okay? And it would just be because 200 pounds falling on someone's going to hurt them from this height. It's just absolute and universal. Then he says this, the other is an unseen spiritual reality that Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God. And this world is governed by laws that are every bit as real as gravity. This spiritual world that Jesus talked about, every bit as real as the world of gravity. And today, we're going to open up and talk about one of the realities of this spiritual world, and it's the reality of heaven. So if you would go ahead and grab your message notes out, they look like this. I put all the verses on there that we're going to use today. Uh, you might even use this. You might be inclined to take some notes today to write something down. 
Uh, this will be a little different than the series that we just ended because when we're talking about these all-encompassing topics, we want to go to the whole counsel of the Bible. So we're not going to just camp out in one place, but we'll look at, you know, what does the Bible has to say, have to say about this? But you know what? I just want to encourage you that if you don't have a Bible... Uh, that when you leave this morning on both side, both doors, as you leave, you're going to find a rack and there'll be Bibles on them. If you don't own one, we want to give you one today. So just take one if you don't own a Bible and then use this as a way you might read throughout the week or a way that you might uh, go deeper. And uh, for the first time, maybe you might read and see that God, God's word actually makes sense. So I want to read to you the verse that Pastor John read just a moment ago uh, from Colossians chapter three, Colossians Paul is writing, he's the Apostle Paul, and uh, he's writing to a church, and he's trying to encourage them about the reality of heaven. This is what he says. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, so just know, clarifying this right up front, when he's writing these words, he's writing to those who are in Christ, meaning that they have chosen Jesus Christ as their forgiver, as their redeemer, as their deliverer, as their healer, and as the leader of their life. So that's who he's writing to right now. And then he says this, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So I want you, if you take your message note, I want you to circle three words. There are the three words, set your sights. Set your sights. That's what his command is, set your sights. And what that means is that means to go on a search. And uh, those words are used to describe Jesus Christ when he came and he spoke and he says, I have come to seek and save the lost. And he's saying, I've come on, a, on purpose to go after a relentless, focused search, uh, search of, for people is what he was talking about. But for us in this case, it's a relentless, focused searching investigation of the reality of heaven. Now, before Jesus came, that the people of God would be the Jewish nation, they were looking forward to the promise of the Messiah, the promise of the one who was going to come. And so when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament that he would be the Messiah. He's the one who has come. Okay, so Jesus has lived, Jesus has died, Jesus is resurrected, and now he's gone back to heaven. And so now his followers in this first century, this right at right, it's really raw time of history, his followers, they're also comforted by a promise. And their promise was the promise of heaven that Jesus taught them and talked about is the promise of heaven, the promise of a day when all who know Jesus Christ will transition, and I love the thought of this, some of us might even be surprised we just transitioned from one reality to the next. Transition from one place to another, to an existence beyond description. And we know this because we look at, you know, the Bible, the New Testament, you know, many references to looking forward to heaven and what heaven would be like. So we know that was their early focus. But we also know it because of documents that we've discovered and found of those who follow Christ in the first and second centuries. We've been able to look at their documents. We've been able to go into the catacombs of ancient Rome and go into look at pictures that they drew in these catacombs of ancient Rome. And what we find is that much of the focus was on heaven wanting heaven to come. In fact, here's a prayer that they prayed. Come, Lord Jesus, quickly. Come quickly. As they looked forward to the coming of heaven. Now, throughout history, during different times of, uh, uh, of human existence, there have been different 
emphases, or I would call, uh, even say a little stronger, strong longings for heaven. And one of those would be in America during a very, what I would call a very dark period of our history when we had slaves. We had Africans who we enslaved, and I think this was one of the very dark times in our country's history. And what we realize is, we look at what did the slaves focus on who had no hope? They focused on the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven. And one of the songs that they sang, I'm going to play it for you right now. I thought about singing it, but I'm going to let you, you're not going to get that, okay? So let's just listen to this song, okay? I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. Swing low. She did much better than I would have done. Okay, so there you go. But you know what? In history, we've looked at, in so different seasons, there was different longings for Jesus to come back because the reality that they were living in was so difficult that they could only, they only hoped they had, but there was something better that would release them and relieve them from where they are. But also, I think that what happens is, and that was groups of people, but individuals, we also have seasons where we long for heaven more and more, you know, and I think that um, because I'm getting to be around a lot of folks right now who are uh, facing the uh, imminent death, um, this is even more real for me because I look at them, we talk and we, you know, talk intimately about their hope and they know that death is coming and that nothing appears to be going to change that. And so what hope do they have? They have the hope of heaven, and they long for that. They long to be in that reality. But what happens is, I think, is that unless we're in those difficult situations, just our natural tendency as human beings, is that we're not going to focus on heaven because we're focused on life, and we're focused on all the things that we're doing in life. And so if we're not careful, we can let the reality of heaven be dimmed for us. We can let it be dimmed. And so I want to list you three things that I believe can dim the reality of heaven if we allow them to. The first is this. Some of us have distorted views or perceptions of heaven. The reason the reality of heaven may be dimmed is we have distorted views or perceptions of heaven. Now, for many people, and I'll just kind of look at it this way, until you reach the point where you need the promises of heaven and you're holding on to them dearly, for many people, when they think or they focus on heaven, especially as it's depicted by so many people, they think that heaven sounds boring. Boring, honestly. You know, I'm sitting on a cloud. Oh, I'm strumming a harp, singing songs forever. Oh, my word. I remember a Gary Larson Farside cartoon that kind of depicted this whole thing. It pictured a man with angel wings and a halo sitting on a cloud doing nothing. Absolutely bored look on his face. No one nearby at all. He's all alone. And so there's this cloud above his head. The cloud said this. Wish I'd brought a magazine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's one of the ways that many people look at heaven. They think, you know, when I think about heaven, I think I'd rather spend time in Fresno or Bakersfield in heaven. (laughs) Sorry, Fresno. (laughs) 
Okay, so there's one distortion. Another one is this, I, uh, that I believe dims the reality of heaven. It's because of the distractions of life. And you guys know this, right? Just the distractions of life. It just takes so much to make it through life and get so consumed with working and, you know, taking care of kids and dating and all the things that come with life and uh, maintaining, acquiring, you know, looking forward to the future, whatever that means. And what can happen is I can get so preoccupied and distracted that I, I don't ever think about heaven because I'm just barely making it till tomorrow, let alone thinking about someday out in the future. Uh, and then there's another reason. The third reason is this. The reality of heaven has lost its appeal because of the doubts of society. Kind of like there's a doubting, you know, t- contingent in our world today that would say, okay, you need heaven because you're not as enlightened as we are. You're not as advanced as we are, you know, that only people who need heaven are those in third world countries. That kind of attitude, you know, that we don't really need heaven because we've got more. We've got our intellect and our abilities and we can make things happen. We can do all that. And so you look at that. And so heaven has lost its appeal because I think one of the reasons heaven has lost its appeal is we've just lost the image. We've lost the picture of what heaven is actually like. But here's the deal. We need to understand this. Even though the reality of heaven has been dimmed because we're not, maybe we've lost the picture, inside of every one of us is a longing for heaven. Inside every one of us is a longing for heaven. I'll say it this way sometimes. Inside every one of us is a longing to return to the Garden of Eden, return to perfection. We have that. And here will give you some reasons. Let's think about this. Why, Why inside of us is this longing for heaven? There's something wired inside of us to believe that love is not just a cosmic joke. That, you know, when I love someone, I fall in love, I develop relationships, I love someone deeply, that it's not just for this little season and it's over and love meant nothing. But there's something beyond this where that love might be able to be realized in another place. So we have that inside of us. And and that would show that there's a longing for somewhere else. Another one is this, is we have this longing inside of us to believe that our lives actually matter. That the good deeds I do in love today aren't just good deeds that are gone and then they don't have any impact. But the good deeds I do today can actually change something that can help someone that will move them toward a better reality in, in the future, in eternity. So my good deeds aren't just nothing, because if my good deeds are nothing, who would do them, right? So inside of us is this innate thought. Another thing inside of us is the ability, and this takes some work sometimes, the ability to believe that all the pain and suffering in this life will finally be resolved in some way. If this was just all there was, and we were in pain and suffering, and we thought that this was it, and there was no reason, there was nothing that this could accomplish, and that it would just end like that. Well, what's the use, right? It's just hopeless. It's just useless to look at that. But inside of us, we're built with this draw, this desire for this place where love matters, where our good deeds matter, and where faith and suffering can have perspective in that way. Now, what's amazing to me is that even though I believe that sometimes the reality of heaven is dimmed for many of us, when studies are done of people and they're asked, do they believe in heaven, 80% of people say they believe in heaven. 80%. Can you believe? That's a strong number of people to say they believe in heaven. I watched a video. Uh, It's one of those on the uh, man on the street videos, you know, and the person has a mic and he goes up and interviews people. And he was doing this in a city and did it about 10 or 12 people and asked the question. And there was the question, is there a heaven? Is there a heaven? And here was the predominant answer. 
Okay? This really, really touched me. I'd like to believe so. I'd like to believe so. I'd like to believe there's heaven. But you know what they're saying? I'm just not sure. I'm just not certain. Today what I want to do is I want to talk about what does the Bible say about the reality of heaven. See, the Bible says this, and I, I love how God um, it just helps us know this. He helps us know one thing, that we're not going to know everything now. It says in, in 1 Corinthians that what we see now, we see through a mirror dimly. So it means we're not going to know everything now. But he does say, when you read my word, you're going to know a whole lot more than you could have known any other way. And that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. Look at these verses. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So think about that. You think about what you can imagine heaven would be like. And he's just saying, you know what? You can't do it. You just can't do it. Now, people have incredible imaginations. You ever watch a movie and you're wondering, who thought that up? I watched one of those this weekend, okay? It was called Beast of the Southern Wild. Have you seen that? It's crazy. Who thought that up? <laughs> that that movie is amazing when you watch it. I'm not saying it's amazing because it's good. It's just, it's like, oh, I can't believe that people have that ability to imagine stuff like that. And that's what God's saying in your imagination. You can never outdo him. What you can imagine, heaven will be better than anything you could ever dreamed or imagined. He goes on to say this, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. He shows us his deep secrets so we can understand the reality. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk about six realities of heaven. And as I do this, I just want to remind you, last spring, we did a series, four weeks on heaven. And so if you want to kind of tackle more than what we're going to share today, you can watch them online or you can go and uh, order some CDs at the bookstore and you can actually get those, and you can listen to all four of those. And for some of it, this is going to be a little just kind of refresher, but it's going to have some new stuff in it as well. So here's six things we can know are in heaven. First, it's a place of love and relationships. Heaven is a place of love and relationships. Heaven is a place of community and connection and closeness. That's what heaven will be like. All the barriers will be taken down. All our prejudices will be gone. All our fears of approval will no, you know, no longer exist. And we will be able to relate to one another, the Bible says, in perfect connectedness, perfect relationship. Now, one of the most attractive things for many people about heaven is who will be there. Is who will be there. And so, um, when you think about who will be there, and you think about reunions, reunions with loved ones, reunions with friends, reunions with people that you loved here on earth. That's one of the cool things about heaven. It's going to be a place of reunion. But also, some of us, as we've gone through this life, we've not been able to form the kinds of relationships that we really desire. And because of that, some of us are lonely. And the beautiful thing about heaven is that even if you've existed in loneliness on this earth, that Revelation 7 says that heaven is going to be populated with people of all nations, tongues, and tribes of the earth, and you're going to have lots of people that you're going to be able to be connected to and be in relationship with heaven. And so you have that to look forward to. Now, some of our most treasured relationships on earth uh, are our pets, right? Uh, and so, you know, one of the main questions we get about heaven, especially from young people, will my pet be in heaven? And they ask that question, will my dog or my cat be in heaven? You guys know my answer already, you know? 
Yeah, right? My answer used to be, dogs, yes, cats, no, okay? <laughs> but here's the deal. After our dog ate four sets of retainers in the last month, <laughs> in a one-month period, I've changed my mind, and our dog will not be in heaven. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> Okay, second, because we're doing that well now, heaven is a place of laughter and joy. Heaven is a place of laughter and joy. Now, this, is a, you know, this might surprise some of you when you get to this point. Think about that. Think about, you know, heaven's just going to be a solemn place where we play, you know, like I said, play harps and we sing. And it's just, a, you know, kind of everybody's serious up there. Uh, but in heaven, the indication is it will be a place of laughter and joy. That's what heaven will be like. I heard about this guy. His name is Chet Fitch. He died a couple of years ago at the age of 88. Now, it's key that you hear this. He died in October, okay? He died in October. And so imagine how stunned 34 of his friends and family were to get a Christmas card from him at Christmas time. So this is what he did. He always loved playing practical, practical jokes on people and making people laugh. And so he knew he was dying, and so before he died, he made arrangements with a friend to help him play one more gag, okay, from the grave. <laughs> so he and his friends send out cards just before Christmas, and this is what the card said. I asked the big guy if I could sneak back and send some cards. <laughs> At first, he said no, but at my assistant, insistence, he finally said, oh, well, what the heaven, go ahead. <laughs> And then he signed the card, I'll probably be seeing you some sooner than you think. <laughs> Wishing you a very Merry Christmas, Chet Finch. You know what? I think in heaven there are going to be a lot of Chet Finch's moments, okay, that we're going to be able to have, we're going to be able to laugh together and roll, and we're going to you know, spit snot out of our noses, and it won't even matter, okay? <laughs> Joy and happiness. Next, heaven is a place of responsibility and accomplishment. It's a place of responsibility and, comp and accomplishment. This is, I, I love this part, okay? There's the next two parts I really, really love because I like to work. I love to work. And some of you are thinking about heaven. You're thinking about, it's a place of work. You're hearing that. You're like, I'm not sure, Ron, because I don't like, I'm going to deal with this in a little bit about how we view work sometimes. But heaven's going to be a place where we get to make important decisions. We work productively. But here's the deal. Our work will no longer be hindered by the realities of the broken world in which we live. No longer be hindered, hindered by those realities. Our work will be fulfilling, and we're going to be able to accomplish things that we set out to do and be able to find fulfillment, and it's just going to fit us. And so if you're thinking heaven doesn't sound good to you because work doesn't sound fun to you, it may be because in the work you do, you've not yet been able to find the way God wired you and find the place where you can be the most fulfilled and the most happy. I'm not saying you go look for a new job, but I'm saying you might need to think about that. Is the job I'm doing, does it fit me now? Well, here's the deal. When you get to heaven, God made you, God wired you, God gifted you, and he has the perfect assignment for you. And as you do that assignment, you are going to be the most fulfilled you could ever imagine or dream. Fourth, heaven is a place of growth and discovery. This is another one I really love. Um, because I love to learn and I love to uh, uh, have knowledge and information. Uh, you know, Kim and I had someone do us a favor recently. 
and uh, the person came over to our house, and uh, then later we're having dinner after the person left, and, and this person said to us, said, you know what? When I got to your house and I saw all the books you have in your house, I thought to myself, these, pers- these people must be really smart. <laughs> no, we're not. We're trying to learn more is what we're doing in that way. But you know what? I love to learn. And some of you are like me. You love to learn. Well, the indications are in heaven that we, it will be a place of continual learning. When we go to heaven, we're not going to know everything. If we knew everything and we got to heaven, we'd be God. God, we'd be God. That's the answer. We're not God. What God will do is he's going to allow us to continue to learn. There's going to be places for discovery. We're going to be able to have places to explore, you know, a whole world he's going to make for us to explore, the city of Jerusalem for us to go exploring in and us to learn from. We're going to get to learn from people who are already there. So it's going to be a place of learning and discovery. And then fifth, heaven is a place of reward and rest. Reward and rest. I like this one. <laughs> Reward and rest. Rest. I just want some of you are going to focus on that one. But here's what Randy Alcorn says about rewards. This is a book called Heaven. He says, belief determines our eternal destination, where we will be. Behavior determines our eternal rewards, what we will have. Now, I don't understand this one. I wish I did. Uh, but from, you know, every indication uh, in a lot of the stories, parables that Jesus taught, is that when he was here, he was making an indication that what you do with what God gives you now will determine the reward you get in heaven. It's just that simple. I can't tell you it's a formula. I can't tell you that what the rewards are going to be because I don't have any idea. Uh, but here's what I know that I know that God is just. He's not fair. He's just. And so in a just God will take what we have done, and he will look at it, and he will filter it through the, maybe the, the, uh, the struggles we had to do it or the sacrifice it costs us to do something, and he will take into account the things we've done, and there will be a reward that he will give that's in alignment with what we've done. Just know that to be true. And so when I get to heaven, I have that to look forward to. But also, it'll be a place of rest, a place of rest. No longer striving. See, when we're, you know, thinking about this, when we're working, we'll no longer be working against the clock because there's no clock. When we're working, we'll no longer be working with limited resources because the resources are unlimited. When we're working, we won't be working with frustrating people because some of them won't be there. (laughs) Oops. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we'll all be at our best, functioning in great joy when we get to be there. I just can't wait. There'll be times when we're so productive, but also there'll be times when we get to rest. Okay, and lastly, and this is most important of anything I've said today, heaven is a place where God lives and rules. It's a place where God lives and rules. The very best part of heaven will be that God is there. The very best part. We're going to experience God in a real and a tangible sense. That's really the reality of heaven and the promise of heaven. We'll be in the place where God dwells and we will be in relationship with him. The Bible says that in heaven, 
there won't be a sun or a moon. Why? Because of the glory of God. That glory, God is in every inch of heaven, and he fills it with his light. The Bible says that there's no need for a temple. You know, talking about the Jewish temple, making relationship to what people could understand there. And I would say maybe for a church. No, no need for churches because God will be in every inch. And wherever I go, I will be in his presence. Many of you already turned your notes over, but look on the back side. This, uh, John is writing and he's giving us a picture of heaven. And he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more pain, death or sorrow or crying of pain. All these things are gone forever. What God wants us to know is that where he is, these things aren't. So it's really cool to know. We talked about what is in heaven. What isn't in heaven? Well, he said there, there'll be no sickness. There'll be no sadness. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no sin. There'll be no loneliness. And there'll be no death. All of these things are missing from heaven. So that's the reality of heaven. Now, the big question I have, and I think this is the most challenging thing for us today, is how will I live differently because of this reality? How will I live differently? I want to give you three ideas. And the first is this. Living with the reality of heaven changes my perspective of possessions. It changes my perspective of possessions. Because what I realize is that the only thing that really matters is what I have in heaven. The only thing that really matters is what I get to experience in heaven. And so why would I live my entire life living for something that won't be in heaven? Possessions. And you've heard this said before, it's just pretty humorous, but you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, have you? We haven't. That's the reality. And yet, how many of people live their lives for what they would put in the U-Haul? And they've not lived for something more important. Look what Jesus says. He says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So he's saying this. He's saying this. Don't focus on things that are going to rust out, wear out, or get taken out. Instead, focus on what will be real and alive in heaven. So we have possessions, yes. And how can we use those possessions so that we can help plant seeds for people to go to heaven? Instead of living for them and always having to have the newest and the best and the latest and, the, and all that stuff, that kind of, all this stuff we're so, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's, it's a big pull, is to learn to say no and be content with what we have so that God can then allow us to use the time we have and the resources we have to invest in other people being in heaven as well. Second is this. Living with, real, living, uh, with the reality of heaven changes my perspective of pain and suffering, pain and suffering. 
Now, Paul writes these words. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing a book to uh, the church in Rome, and this is at the end of his ministry, and so this is what he says. He says, what we suffer now, now, this life, is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later, later heaven, nothing. Now, you got to understand, Paul is not just writing glibly about pain here. For those of you who are reading the Bible through in a year with us, uh, recently we read through the book of Acts. And beginning with about, I think, Acts 16, 15 in there, it's talking about Paul's missionary journeys as he's going around to start churches. And this is what it says about Paul. It says that Paul was beaten. He was whipped. He was ridiculed and rejected. He was run out of town. He was stoned. That means throwing large rocks at him to kill him. And, and more than one incident that they threw so many rocks at him that beat him that he was on the ground and they assumed he was dead. One incident in particular just struck me so uh, poignantly when it says at the end of this, they left because they assumed he is dead. He got up and went back into town and taught. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a serpent, we know. He lived a lot of the end of his life in prison. So that's the guy who wrote this. That's the guy who's saying this. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. And what he's saying is, he's saying this, as much as we can comprehend or understand this, that it's kind of like a scale. And you've got a scale and you've got the weight of glory on this side, the weight of glory on this side, and it pings up this side like this. And that you put all of your suffering on this side, plink, 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 and the scale never moves because the weight of glory is so much heavier than the pain and suffering of this life. It's the picture he wants us to go. He's saying we can trust God. We can trust God when we go through times of suffering. We can trust him because there will be a day, as we sang about just a minute ago, there will be a day when we look at God and we see him face to face and he comes to you and he looks you. I don't know how this is going to be exactly, you know, anthropomorphically, whatever that word is. You look at God and how he has, you know, human eyes and hands. I don't know exactly, but he looks at you and he looks at you in the eyes and he wipes that tear away. He wipes that tear away. In heaven, this is what we're going to find. We're going to find that everything sad and painful and heartbreaking and anguishing that we experienced in this world will be gone. It will be extinguished. There will be no emotional scars. There will be no painful memories. There will be no heartbreaks. There will be no disappointments. There will be no anxious waiting rooms. There will be no bloated stomachs. There will be no empty tissue boxes. There will be no tear-stained divorce papers. There will be no motionless ultrasound. You know, this is so important, folks, that we understand this whole idea of pain and suffering and what God has to say. Then in two weeks, we're going to give an entire week to this. And I just want to encourage you. I've already looked ahead. I already kind of know what's coming on that in that second, in two weeks from now. You don't want to miss it as we understand about the reality of pain and suffering. But the third one is this. Living with the reality of heaven changes my perspective of people, of people. Paul writes this, he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And the point I want to make here is this, is that when we see people, oftentimes we see masses, we see groups, we segregate in some way, and we just put people in categories. 
But what, this, what the idea is this, is that when I live in the reality of heaven, everywhere I go, I look at faces and I see people. I see people who have hurts and longings and dreams. I see people that without Jesus Christ will not know the reality of heaven. And I see them in that way, and it changes the way I live my life. It changes the way I go through the, my days because everywhere I go now, I'm seeing and I'm trying, God, how do you want me to be the person right now who has an impact in this one person's life, this two people's life? How do I do it? What do you want me to do, God? And it changes my perspective on people. They're no longer nuisances. They're no longer getting in my way. They're no longer distractions in some way. They're no longer people who hurt me. They're no longer people I want to disregard. No longer people I want to look away from, but people I'm drawn to because I want them to know Christ as well. I want them to know him. So, doesn't that sound a lot better than, you know, strumming a harp on a cloud? But how do I go to heaven? How do I know the reality of heaven? Remember the video I told you about when people were asked, the first question is, what will heaven, you know, is there a heaven? And they said, I'd like to think there is. He asked a second question of every individual, and he asked them this question, and it was so poignant. He says, will you go to heaven? And here was the response every time. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think there is one. And I'd like to think I would be the one who would get to go there. But in that is uncertainty. They just don't know. So how would I know if I'm going to heaven? You want to write this down for you. How can I be sure I'm going to have the reality of heaven? Is this. Say yes to Jesus. Just say yes to Jesus. Say yes to him. It's not complicated. It can be that simple. And when I say yes to him, I've been guaranteed the reality of heaven. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, I pray. I've been so moved this week in thinking about heaven and the reality of it and Personally, I can get so caught up in thinking it's just about me and what I get. And God, I pray that you would just help me, help each of us today to focus on this reality. And God, when I look at these ways that we could live differently, those are challenging. God, I pray that you would just be big in us, that we would trust you and know that you're able you would show us today, if there's a way that you want us to live differently, if there's just a perspective change you wanted to, you know, tweak in us today, what is it, God, that you wanted to speak to everyone? Because I know that you wanted to speak to every person here. We're open to you, God. And Lord, I also know that there are people who've never said yes to Jesus, that never have. They would be in the category, I'd like to think I'll go there, but I'm just not sure. I want to help you to be sure today. And if you want to, you can just say with me, just say yes. Just yes, Jesus. I say yes to what I know and you've done for me. So I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong. I feel sorry, sorrow for that sin. And I ask you to cleanse me. I accept you as my forgiver. I thank you that you're my redeemer. 
Help me to understand what it means that you're my deliverer and healer. And as much as I understand it, I want you to lead my life from this moment forward. And I thank you, God, that every one of us in this room can be certain about heaven. It's a reality we can trust. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.